Welcome to Mentors on the Mic podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Simone Miller, a New York City native actress with credits in film, television, off-Broadway, and commercials. Every Monday, I'll bring you an incredible mentor in the entertainment industry, focusing on how they started and how they moved up to where they are today. My goal is to encourage you to follow your dreams and give you a playbook on how to get there. Thanks for listening and let the episode begin. Do I have an episode for you guys? Welcome, mentors on the mic, Tony Goldwyn. So freaking incredible. I mean, it's just, it's amazing for me as an actor to to get to hear from him his story, how he started um, both in theater, but also his first projects in TV and film, as well as the audition story on how he got... Um, how he got Ghost, which was a breakthrough part for him, um, all the way through, you know, his directing, how he decides to pick up, um, how he decides to work on projects now as an actor who's getting more offers, as well as his foray into Scandal and how that project came to him, which was a really wonderful story. I asked him about, you know, what it is to be an actor's director, how to be a director using what you have, your strengths as an actor. And he explains that and what makes, you know, in his opinion, what he tries to achieve as a director, what he tries to achieve in the environment of the set that he is working on. Anyway, guys, let's just get right into it. Without further ado... Welcome, Tony Goldwyn. So, Tony, welcome. And what is the first role that you've had in this wonderful entertainment industry? Well, the first uh, professional job I had was when I was actually at Brandeis University. Um, I auditioned for uh, to, to be part of the Williamstown Theater Festival, mm. which is a for people that don't know, it's um, kind of the premier summer theater festival in the country. And it's in Williamstown, Massachusetts, on the campus of Williams College. And um, it was kind of like the gold standard at the time and uh, of, uh, sort of a family friend of m- mine who was a wonderful actor, an older actor who just, in fact, passed away at the age of 106. Oh, uh, wow. Norman uh, Norman said, if you're going to be an actor, you have to go to Williamstown. So I auditioned for Williamstown and amazingly got uh, cast, but to be part of the company. And my first role was as a um, spear carrier in a 10 hour epic called uh. The Greeks, which was sort of a retelling of, of the, you know, of the sort of story of the Trojan War and oh. taking. Um, the plays of uh, uh, of Aeschylus, Sophocles, and Euripides, and putting them into this sort of ten hour epic, which uh, I think a lot of people fell asleep at, but it was very exciting. Ten hours, and I had no lines, but I stood there, uh, uh, you know, with a spear and acted my head off uh, as much as I could. But it was, um, yeah, it was it was an amazing experience, and then that sort of launched. That was, you know, the first professional theater that I was ever a part of, and ended up spending seven summers there over the years. Seven summers. Mm-hmm. Wow. Nice. Wow. It's a lot. It's great. That was, and- that was the start of everything for me where I met my kind of network of people, uh, but that formed my entire professional network that I generally, I still, you know, my, the people I'm closest to, I met my wife that summer and wow. a lot of the actors that I have worked and directors that I've worked with over the years since um, I met there. That's amazing. And yeah, it was good. You know, the, the thing that I, I realized over the years is um, the most important tool, I guess you could call it, or the most important uh, source of both creativity and um, actual work uh, for me has come from the creative network that I have developed mm. over the years, uh, starting with those people I met at Williamstown. Um, Nice. You know, we all get so fixated on like our agent and what agency you're with and who are you going to like, you know, who's representing you and, and um, you know, and, and that really is, that's, that stuff is all a necessary part of, um, of one's business. But, you know, we are in an entrepreneurial uh, endeavor here in the creative arts and 
it really is all about the work that you do and the people that you do it with. Right. And um, that's where, you know, you, so you create opportunity and those are the people that are going to say, you know, Michelle, I have this thing with when I'm working, would you, what do you want to do? Or let's put this together. You know, and that starts on a very micro level when you're young and don't feel like you have a lot of influence or leverage, but then you all kind of come up together. And um, I don't know, I've found that relationships are where you end up getting, you know, having the most impact and doing the most interesting work. And frankly, get it's where a lot of my career opportunities have come from. Amazing. Thank you. So seven summers, what else? What was next? How did you use that to, to you know, take your next well, steps? Let's see. So uh, I went to, after that, I went, I guess I was a junior. I just finished my junior year at Brandeis. And then I graduated and went to theater school, to acting school in London, London. for a couple of years at Lambda. And then in the summers, I was going back to Williamstown. You know, the way it worked is you, you would go if you were hired and they had, you know, a non-equity company. So it was, a, you know, the union theater, but they would hire a bunch of young actors, typically from like Yale and Juilliard and the top drama schools, uh, which, you know, I didn't go to any of those. <laughs> but I but so I got in there, but they, they would develop after I think three summers, I got my equity card because you build up points in the union. Right. So I graduated from Lambda and went back and did a final summer at Williamstown playing, you know, small parts and doing whatever they would give me to do. Uh, and I ended up getting my union card at the end of that, which was useful. And then I went to New York and tried to start figuring it out. And so the, the first opportunity I got, well, I mean, this was not, I, I honestly, I got together with a bunch of friends of mine from Williamstown uh, that fall and we put on a, show in really? my friend's apartment he had this uh, <laughs> what now would be millions of dollars but at the time soho was not a fancy neighborhood and it was on the outskirts he had this illegal loft that he lived in nice. uh, and we put on a sam shepherd play in his we took over his apartment and invited anyone who would come to see it and that's how i got an agent and then, um, you know, a few months later, I, you know, I just got a job understudying at the Manhattan Theater Club, which is a very good theater in New York. Yes. And then they um, cast me in their next show. I actually got a part. It was a play called Digby, um, which was a, a really funny comedy. It was quite successful for them. And with, a you know, a bunch of older actors in my mind, they weren't they weren't very old. They were much younger than I am now. Yeah. But uh Anyway, that, that was my first sort of, you know, professional New York debut. Um, and um, I thought, okay, now I've made it, you know, and little yeah. bit I, that was only the <laughs> there was very, very beginning many years of uh, lean, many lean years to follow that one. But, uh, but yeah, so that, that was the kind of the next significant thing was actually getting a job in the New York theater. Yes. Love it. Did you stay in New York for quite a while or? I stayed here for a couple of years. Yeah. I, I, you know, I started working and that was great. Uh, but like all actors, you know, I, if I worked a couple of times a year, that was amazing. And, you know, but I did feel that I sort of, you know, established um, a toehold in the New York theater scene, which can be very cliquish and closed. Yes. Uh, so I was lucky enough to kind of get in there. Um, and in sort of regional theaters around New York, there were, uh, whether it was the Long Wharf Theater in, in uh, New Haven, Connecticut, which is a very good theater. You know, I was, I was getting jobs, but I wasn't getting lead roles. And I realized when I was going up for leading bigger parts, I was competing against actors who were either in movies or television. Mm. Uh, and I thought, oh, man, I better, I, you know, I, I better start pushing in that arena. So I kind of through anxiety, really, I started coming out to L.A., to try and see if I could break into television and film, um, which again was a number of years of banging my head against a wall and, you know, getting little parts here and there before I actually got a, a you know, something that gave me real traction. Right. Well, so much there to unpack. I do want to ask a quick question. I was going to ask it later, but I might as well ask it now. Do you recommend, like, what did you do during those lean years? And what do you recommend actors who are experiencing that now? Well, it really is what I said before about creating a network, a creative network of people that you respect um, and can create 
work with. Um, uh, you know, and now there are so many, it's so available to, to make your own work. You know, when I was starting out, literally all you could do is you could put on a play somewhere, you know, you could do a show. So, you know, we would do plays, you know, I didn't actually do that many. The first one that I mentioned, <clears throat> but I had friends who would like do Shakespeare and friends who did like a production of Romeo and Juliet in the boat basin at 79th street. There's, you know, if you people who know New York, there's that rotunda right as you get off the West side highway yes. and they, Romeo and Juliet under there. And it was Kate Burton. And I can't remember who else was in it, but a lot of people have gone and have really big careers. were doing that. And wow. you know, we would do anything that we could do, but now you can make movies, you know, with your, with your iPhone, you know, um, uh, so, uh, that creating work with, with, with finding like-minded creative people, or if you have friends who are writers, if you're an actor or who want to be producers, start to make shit, you know, just start doing it. Uh, and don't wait around for people to hand you opportunities because that is just soul crushing. And, um, you know, I wasted a lot of time thinking I, I, you know, I, I, nothing had significance unless it was, you know, a mainstream job that someone was giving me. So I spent a lot of time sitting by my telephone, hoping my agents would give me a call. Uh, and most times they didn't. So uh, that was just very, uh, I wasted time and uh, felt terrible. <laughs> uh, but what I did do was with that network of people, you know, we, you know, I was in class uh, and then, I created with some friends of mine, we created a workshop and we would meet every week and do our own class. Cause I started to get sometimes frustrated with how expensive acting class was. And I found that a lot of the people, even if I was working with a great teacher, there would be a lot of people in the class who I just didn't think were terribly serious. And so I would get frustrated by the other people that I was in class with, cause I was so ambitious and took it all. So I worked hard. Yeah. Uh, and other people were just like, whatever, you know, they'd be stoned in class. <laughs> <It's> like, <what? laughs> so, uh, you know, we formed, I formed a group with, with my peers uh, and we ended up doing a lot of cool stuff, but that for I me see. was the spiritual lifeline, you know, um, yeah. it could have yielded more practical stuff had I uh, put my intention toward that, but at mm -hmm. least it was, um, it was, uh, you know, it fed my soul every week. What way to stay creative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then what would you say? Cause you, what would you say is your, your breakout role? I feel like I've heard you say this in other interviews, but you said, for example, you were doing little small things in LA for a while until you kind of got something. Yeah. I was, uh, the movie ghost was a huge break for me. Um, yeah. you know, and I was, I'm trying to think what I did in those years, uh, I would, um, I worked, I went back to work at Williamstown in the summer times, uh, for a couple of years, you know, was hired back after a few years, I was hired back into the equity company, which nice. was the union company. So that was great. Um, I'd kind of do a play once a year. Um, I did some plays in LA at the center theater group, which is, you know, the Mark Taper forum. Uh, so I worked out here a bit in the theater, but I was really focused on film and TV. So I, my first thing was a Oh God, uh, I did a tiny part in Friday the 13th, part six, yep. <laughs> was the first movie I was in where I was. Do you remember a, that? Yeah. I spent a week in a swamp in Georgia in the middle of the night and I got killed in the first two minutes of the movie, I think, but I was Beautiful. thrilled to do it. It was very cheap, but I was very happy to do it. Um, I did uh, like guest stars on TV shows like Matlock. Matlock. And my first was St. Elsewhere, which was a yes. great series. Uh, that's how I got my SAG card, um, oh. which literally came from Williamstown because the really? creators of that Tom Fontana, or one of the, he was one of the creators, one of the, you know, the main writers on it who uh, had been, you know, at Williamstown was a young writer at Williamstown. And he kind of, he and, and uh, uh, the, the executive producer of that show, really a great television producer named Bruce Paltrow, who um, was married to Blythe Danner and the father of Gwyneth. Um, you know, Bruce was kind of like a Williamstown husband uh, oh. and said to all the young actors, when you come to LA, give me a call. I'll get you a job. And Bruce used to give us all. Wow. So literally he would, you'd come to LA and you'd call Bruce and Tom and say, I'm in town. And they say, come on over. And Bruce, I remember sitting in wow. Bruce's office, oh, we'll get you a part. And they gave me this, you know, uh, cool little part on St. Elsewhere. That's how I got my SAG card. Um, wow. 
What Absolutely. an advocate for actors. Oh, he was amazing. He was just such an incredible guy. And, and uh, Tom's gone on to be one of the great producers of television, you know, with, uh, so, um, but, uh, yeah, so that's how I kind of got started. I was absolutely terrible in, in the, you know, I was terrified when I first got in front of the camera, I was like a block of wood, but you know, you got to go through that anyway, about four or five years later, um, I just was, you know, fighting to try and get in to auditions. And, um, my wife, Jane, who is a production designer, um, started out, we met at Williamstown. She was a scenic designer in the theater but went on to have a very successful career and her career was really hot in those years. She was a big production designer and she was the designer on ghost mm. and I'm like unemployed. And she kept coming home going, there's this part they haven't cast, you know, you should go up for it. And it was one of the lead roles. It was like the villain and yeah. the thing. They're never going to see me and I call my agent and they didn't They were like, well, we can't get you in on that. They want a big name for that. And Jane just kept saying, they still haven't cast anyone. They can't find anyone they like. And she was really bugging me about it. So I called the agent and, you know, it was just, I thought I was getting nowhere. And, but I kept pestering them and my agent's assistant uh, said, you know what, I'm going to get you in on that. You should, wow. you should, you should, they should see you. Like, I'm going to really try it. Cause my agent just was not into it at all. And this guy, Michael Lazo, who's since become a very successful agent and then now manager, Michael um, got me in to the door and uh, I went in and put, got put on tape with the casting directors and um, nothing happened. Uh, but I felt like I did a good job and I felt like I knew how to approach that role. And um, about two months later, three months later, I sort of, I'd gotten to a point where I was really kind of heartbroken. Uh, things just weren't working out. I tested for a pilot here in LA and I had gotten close to a bunch of things and nothing worked out. And um, there was this, you know, one TV pilot I really wanted. I was like down to the wire on it. And then I had not getting it. And I just thought, Ugh this is not working. Uh, I'm going to go back to New York and just work in the theater. And I uh, don't even, they offered me a play at Williamstown. So I went back there to think, okay, well, if I end up having a career where I make 500 bucks a week, that's what it's going to be. Yeah. And uh, so I went back to New York and was in rehearsal for this play. And I got a call from my agent who never called me. <laughs> so I was like, why is he calling me? And I called him up. And in those days, we didn't even have cell phones. I remember calling him in the payphone in the studio, putting my quarter. And he's like, Tony, remember that uh, movie Ghost that you auditioned for? And I said, yeah. He said, well, they just saw your tape and they want to screen test you. They want to fly you to LA for a screen test. I was like, what? <laughs> and so I had one day off and they flew me to LA and I put on my one suit that I had and I went to Paramount Studios. And um, in those days, they don't really do screen tests anymore. But mm -hmm. the process was when you were up for a movie in a major role, you had to go to the studio and they would film your audition on a soundstage. And you got hair and makeup and they did the whole thing it was wow. with the director and, you know, reading with a casting assistant. But other than that, well, I was on a, some other set of some other Paramount movie. And I spent about, you know, half a day working on these scenes with the wow. director absolutely thrilling i mean it was so cool and i uh, really felt like an old hollywood experience so i did that i was like man if nothing else happens this was super cool they flew me first class to la and nice <laughs> like it was surreal and then i went back and um you, you know waited a couple of weeks and by that time we were up in williamstown i was starting performances of the play and they couldn't make up their mind um, wow. about who they wanted. They just, because I was too green. You know, I think the director really liked me. But so anyway, nothing was happening. And um, uh, do you mind this long, boring story? No, I love this story. I'm like, I'm enthralled. Okay, so I, I was, my agent called me and said, look, the way, the way it works is you, when you do a test, you do what's called a test option agreement where you, um, they basically make your deal to do the movie, but they have the option to not hire you. They do that a lot for television, right? Yeah, pilots. option and a, a yeah. pilot. They have like 10 days to make up their mind. And if they give you the part, then your deal's all made. And if not, then they can just. They I always feel like that. they do that to like remove all the actors leverage, not in a bad way, but like, you know, then there's no negotiation because well, you're, right. just, you're just happy to get it. So you're like, if I get it, great, I'll just sign right. it. Exactly. And there might be other people that they're testing as well. Right. So, um, I, I had a test option for 10 days. And so the agent calls me and says, look, they want to extend your option uh, mm -hmm. beyond the 10 days because they can't make up their mind. He said, I don't think we should do it. 
maybe I can, you know, it's like, I've never had a client get a job this way. They just can't make up their minds. So I think we should play hardball. And I'm like, Whoa, what do you mean play hardball? I don't I have a bat. How am I going to play hardball? And he said, well, maybe we can get you $10,000 or something. You know, and I was like, look, it's not about the money. Just let's just say yes. So we extended and I was getting very nervous. And then one night my wife calls me in the middle. I'd gotten home from the theater and I'm up in Williamstown and Jane calls and she's like, you need to fire your agents or something like that. And she said, um, she said, you know, you're, I just got a call from the director, Jerry, who's never, you know, they just left her out of it because it was obviously awkward. Makes sense. For her. Yeah. And Jerry said, you know, who's Tony's agent? And she tells him and he said, because uh, his agent has never called me to like even see how he did on his screen test. And he is the number one guy. And I just, you know, I get calls every day from different, you know, uh, um, people and, uh, who I'm not even considering from like other agencies. And so he should maybe get on his agent. I just wasn't wanting to give you a flow flag. So she's yelling at me. Oh. I was like, oh my God. So I, 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 she, I called the agent the next day um, and, and he gets super defensive with me. And he's like, well, you obviously didn't get the part, you know, um, you know, they don't want you. And they're just trying to look like a good guy. And he goes, you should just forget about it. So there's like a horrible agent story. And um, apparently, I mean, so I crazy. said, well, don't you think you should make a call? I mean, that might be true. And I, you know, and, and he was really bitchy with me. And, and uh, he's like, you just accept that you didn't get there. You didn't get the part and just move on. Wow. And I was like, well, a pretty big opportunity. Maybe you could just make a call and find out. Well, we'll call them. We'll find out. But that's just ridiculous. So I had this really rough phone call with um, this, this guy. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know what to do, you know, because I didn't, I could fire him, but I didn't right. know if I didn't get the job, I'm screwed. So I called my older brother, who was a very successful studio executive, because I'm sort of, you know, the, my family sort of a showbiz family from the back. Yes. My brother, you know, was a very successful young executive at the time. And now he's a really successful producer. But I, I did. I needed some advice. And he said, don't worry about your agent. Call this guy. And he gave me the name of a guy called Ed Lamato, who was a very famous very powerful agent who ran the talent department mm. at ICM, which was my agency at the time. And Ed represented Richard Gere and Denzel Washington and you know, all these huge stars and was very famous guy. And I was like, why would Ed talk? And he said, John said, just call Ed. He he'll take your call. I promise you he's the way to do it and ask his advice. Don't complain about your agent. Just call Ed. And, and if he does, you know, if there's a problem coming back, but I think he's the, and he just explained to him, he's a really good guy. So, I call Ed Lamato thinking, why would he take my phone call? And because my own agent wouldn't even pick up the phone. I couldn't get my, it took my agent's days for, to call me back. So I immediately, the phone picks up. Wow. Hello. <laughs> I'm like, hi, Ed, it's Tony Goldman. He's, yes, Tony, how are you? I said, I don't know if you remember me, but we met once. He says, of course, sir, because I'd worked with one of his clients. Of course, I remember you, you know, uh, what's going on? I was like, um, well, uh, I'm up for this movie. He said, yes, I heard about that. That's wonderful. Congratulations. Oh, wow. I said, well, it's this thing ghost and the director can't seem to make up his mind. And I just don't know what to do. And Ed said, Tony, I understand. What's your number? Give me a number. He takes my number. Then he's, I'll call you back in five minutes. He calls me back in five minutes. He says, um, I just spoke to the head of the studio. They have approved you and the director can't make up his mind, but you're the number one choice and the studio has approved you but it's the director, Jerry. He said, so my recommendation to you is that you call the director directly. Here's his phone number. If he doesn't take your call, or if you have any problem, call me back and I'm happy to call him. But I think the right move is for you to just call him and express your passion for the project and see, you know, if you can just, just talk from your heart. Right. So, okay. So <laughs> he says, and call me right back. So I hang up when I called Jerry who picks up the phone immediately. Wow. And I said, Jerry, you know, I, I, I know you're under pressure and I don't mean to put any more on you, but I just wanted you to know how passionate I am about this. And wonder if there's anything I can do to convince you, I just know I could be great in this part. And, you know, I just, I, I, anyway, and he said, Tony, wow, I really appreciate the call. You've done everything. You've been great. I've just, it's just been a really hard decision for me because whatever. And we spoke for about five minutes and then that was the end of the call. And I called Ed and I said, thank you so much. I, I don't know what he said. Let's just keep an eye on it. But I think that was the right move. So then, you know, about an hour later, I'm, I'm at the theater because uh, we have a show that night. We were in the East Coast and Jerry was in L.A. And I'm, I'm getting ready to do the show. And I get a message from the box office saying uh, your agent just called. 
So I go to the box office because again, no cell phones. And I use the phone, I call up and um, the assistant who got me the original audition, he said, you got the fucking part. Don't tell him I told you. And then he puts me through to the agent who says, Tony, we got you the role. You know, I just arranged it. I got you the part. And um, yeah. So, uh, so exciting. What a great story. Yeah. Wow. Did you get a new agent? I have to ask. I did. I did. I, you know, I waited a few months, but eventually once I knew I was on terra firma, I switched agents. And, you know, listen, I, I love the movie ghost, right? It's a phenomenal film. And I was rewatching clips obviously in prep for this. And, you know, it's, it's amazing to think how often, cause you probably, I mean, that must've been a really difficult, not difficult film, but interesting film to shoot because you're filming with Patrick and then you're not filming with Patrick. So you're being hit by something and then you're not, you're being hit by like absolutely nothing. And you just kind of have to like make believe that, which is fun, but also like, how was filming that in general? That whole thing was just magic. I couldn't believe I was pinching myself every day. I couldn't believe I got to do that. Cause I literally, you know, a week before the walls had just seemed impossibly high. And then suddenly I was inside the wall. So I was mainly just so grateful. Um, and, but it was really fun. Yeah. All, there was all that technical stuff that was hilarious and fun. And um, it's easy. It was, it was easy. You know, that, that part was easy uh, acting with a ghost or pretending he was attacking you. It was just fun. Yeah. It's like, that's what we've been doing. That's kind of stuff since we we're little kids. So that, yeah. that was fun. And also um, more theatrical than usually film acting gets to experience. That's right. Usually, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot, you get to use the space more than I think you normally would. And for sure. For yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. So did that like change the game? I mean, you've done, you've had so many credits. It's like, I can't go over all of them, obviously, but what was it like after that? Cause sometimes you hear about like really breakout roles where people are like, I didn't get hired for a bit, which wasn't the case for you. But no, that was the case for me. Yeah, really? It's hard to look at when you look I at mean, like I, I years guess, on IMDb page. You know, that it was an amazing year for me that year because the um, ghost was this unexpected giant hit. Like no one had any awareness of the movie beforehand. Mm-hmm. Patrick's career was actually, you know, struggling a bit. He'd done Dirty Dancing a number of years before right. that. And he was a movie star, but a bunch of movies of his hadn't really worked. Whoopi, the same thing. You know, she'd been nominated for an Oscar for Color Purple. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, she was very successful. But, you yeah. know, it was not, it was in, everything was a box office. She had some, you know, some things that didn't work. Demi was not well known at all yet. Um, you know, she's so good in that. But, but she was not yet. A, that's what made her a star. And then it was just one of those weird things where, Overnight audiences just seemed to want to see it. And it's magic. It's a magic film. Previews where they would do previews like test screenings and they would be lines around the block to see this movie. I don't know what it was. Audiences just found it and it became this huge thing, which was super fun and exciting. And I thought, okay, now it all happens. (laughs) At the same time, I mentioned the play that I was doing at Williamstown that while we were filming, you know, that right before we, when right. I got the part, well, the year later that play moved to New York and was a big hit uh, off Broadway. And I won an Obie award doing it yes. in the like year. And I was just like, Oh my God. Okay. I remember saying to my new agents, okay, guys, here you go. Yep. Hit movie, Obie award. Like I'm like now make it happen. And I, that was a huge mistake on my part. I just didn't, I just, I thought other people were supposed to do it for me. So I kind of was waiting around for for it to just kind of happen. And I didn't understand that no matter what happens, you need to make it happen for yourself. So. So what would you have done? Well, you you know, what I did was I sort of just waited, hoping people offered me stuff and I got offered a lot of crappy stuff um, and did a couple of crappy things because I needed to make. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I sort of didn't know what to do. And, and, um, so my sort of odyssey was, at, I did, you know, like a couple of things I just shouldn't have done because I was nervous that no one, and I was also not used to saying no, cause I so just wanted to work as an actor. So some people started offering me things and for what seemed like a lot of money, even though it wasn't frankly, uh, and I, I guess I kind of, I don't know, I lowered my stock maybe a little bit or the movies that I did didn't really work. So a couple of years after Ghost, I was, I had been super hot. Like I was the it kid for a minute. And then all of a sudden people didn't really want to hire me. Mm. 
and I was working. So I was able to, it was very different from what it had been before. I was able to support my family and, you know, I was, I was making a decent living, but not doing what I wanted to be doing and didn't think the projects I was doing were particularly interesting. I wasn't getting the parts I wanted. So I thought, well, I got to do something about this because in 10 years, uh, it's going to be soul crushing. I, I don't want to just, I, I, this one is not going to work if I'm in my 40s and feeling this way. This episode is sponsored by We Audition. All right. I want to introduce you to our first sponsor, We Audition. We Audition is such a great resource. I was originally introduced to We Audition because I had an audition on it. And so I made a profile and I looked at all the stuff that they offer. Not only can you potentially audition on this, but you can get a reader. If your go-to person to self-tape with is not available, get a reader on this thing, right? You can look at their reviews. You can find the person you're looking for. It's all actors who know what they're doing. You don't even have to ask your partner. You don't have to ask your sister who knows nothing about acting. You can just get a reader on We Audition. You can also make a little extra money and be a reader on We Audition. So you can charge for your services and act, which is lovely. There's also great community and advice. There's resources, actor meditation. There's these daily actor journal pages, which are so good. Highly recommend. And with my discount code, Michelle25, you can get 25% off. And that's right. Michelle25, 25, 25% off, guys. I don't you know, say yes to everyone who wants to be a sponsor, but I really do like We Audition. Highly recommend it if you're an actor. So um, I started looking to like have agency. So I thought, well, that will mean producing and acting, producing the stuff that I act in. So the next time I'm in a hit, if it ever happens again, I can say, okay, now I have some leverage. I want to do this. I want to produce this. There's a role I want to do. This is it. Let's make it happen and take responsibility for myself. So I started looking for material and um, it was very hard. My agent's you know, we said, okay. And they sent me a lot of bad scripts. And then I sort of found one person, my brother actually turned me onto this woman at CAA who was my agency at the time. He said, you know, this is the person who knows every script that's out there. And she's not a fancy agent and she doesn't have like fancy clients, but she's the person who knows every piece of material that's in town and she will be thrilled to hear from you. And so I called this wonderful woman in Kathy Tarr at CAA and she was thrilled to hear from me. <laughs> And um, she kept tabs on all the videos and she sent me a bunch of really cool scripts that no one was making. And one of them I totally fell in love with. Mm. And um, this was sort of after about a year of reading bad scripts. And uh, I said, uh, I got to meet this writer. Who is this writer? I read this brilliant script and I didn't really feel that I was, there was a part for me in it, but I wanted to meet the writer. And I met this writer named Pamela Gray. And I said, I love your script. What else do you have? And I told her, I thought her script needed some work. But, uh, you know, I said, I don't think, I don't know that I'm right to act in it, but I'd love to read whatever else you've written. Anyway, she said, I love what you said about my script. Would you produce this with me, even if you don't act in it? And I said, okay, sure. Why not? And I brought another director onto that project who I admired and knew a little bit. And he was a writer uh, and he could help Pam get the script in shape. And then after about a year of working on this, he kind of flaked out on us and went and did something else. And we were sitting with the script. So then I kept working with her. And basically over three years, we developed the script into really good shape. And I really loved the process. And I started meeting other directors to try and attach someone. Meanwhile, I'd been working as an actor, but still, I did a bunch of movies. So I, yeah. I did do a lot, but nothing that I was that, you know, started about. making me a movie star. You know, was, there was, I was in some really good movies and okay. I was, I don't know, it wasn't, I was a job, a working actor, you know, right. uh, and um, I was meeting other directors on this project. And I thought, I don't trust that they can do this. Mm. I'm afraid I'm going to hand this over and someone's going to screw it up. And one day I just went, oh, I need to do this myself. Yeah. I need to direct this myself. And I never wanted to be a director. I felt I had no skills. I didn't. It seemed like such a stressful job. I had no idea how to do it. But I felt like I understood this piece of material and I just decided to do it. And at that time, I had done enough work as an actor and been in enough big movies that I kind of had some street cred. And all Good, of a sudden, yeah. my agents were like, well, that makes sense. An actor, director, and you're taking the bull by the horns and doing. And out of the blue, 
the movie came together. It was, it ended up being called a walk on the moon. Right. And um, it was, it was the first movie I directed. And I, I, another crazy story right after I decided to direct it and no one was interested in making this movie. I mean, I showed it to a lot of people. No one had any interest in making it. I had no idea how to do it. I get a call from CAA saying, uh, you control that script. It was at that time called the blouse man. (laughs) Yeah, I do. And they said, you want a director, right? I said, yeah, I I do. And they said, well, Dustin Hoffman wants to read the script. I was like, what? I said, well, he was, he had lunch with somebody who remembered that script as script. And he's got a production company that has just put a deal together to make independent movies and they want to read it. And I was like, okay. And so I sent them a draft of the script and his guy, his story guy calls me up. He's like, come meet with me. Please don't wow. show to us. We'd like to make a deal with you on this project. I was like, what? You're like, what is this? So what is this like? I did Murray Shizgal, who was an old friend of Dustin's, who was a playwright who became wow. his story guy. And Murray's this old dude from New York. And I, and he says, so, you know, you want to you wanna direct this, right? And I was like, yeah, thinking he'd say no. And then he's yeah. like, yeah, he loves actor directors. And how much money do you think you can make it for? And, and I was trying to get the budget under $2 million right. unsuccessfully. And he's like, do you think you can make it for $6 million? I was like, yeah, uh, yeah we could probably. Yeah, we could, we, could, we could do that. Yeah, anyway, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll make it work. This script for four years or whatever it was, suddenly we were, we were in motion. And six months later, we were, I was on set directing a movie. So, Which led to many, many more opportunities to direct. So what, what is it about your directing? That what, what is it about like being an actor director that helps your directing, if that makes sense? How well, does it help you approach? Yeah. No, I mean, the way I approached it, I honestly didn't know what the hell I was doing. So I, but I'd been, I'd worked with a number of first time directors and I'd realized that the ones that were successful knew what they knew and knew what they didn't know. Mm-hmm. And then surrounded them with people who could support them and help them. Got it. Uh, the ones who failed were the ones who were like, Oh, I'm supposed to know everything about directing now. And uh, I want this lens and that thing. And, you know, they just need, and then they just crashed. <clears throat> so I knew I knew about acting and um, I knew what story I wanted to tell. And then I surrounded myself with a great cinematographer and a, you know, wonderful editor and a production designer and all the team. And I said, I don't know what I'm doing. I need you to teach me. And, um, and, you know, as an actor, the way I approached it, I was like, okay, what would my fantasy version be of a director? Like what, as an actor, what would I need to do my best work? Like what kind of a director have I always dreamed about having? Let me try and be that person and just create a creative environment that where people would thrive. And, um, you know, so, so that's what I did. And I knew how to speak the language. So actors felt secure working with me. And then uh, I also realized it extended to all of the crew. You know, if you have a spirit of collaboration, because what that meant really when I said create the, the environment, it meant being collaborative, like not being, you know, the, the less good directors that I have worked with or had worked with up to that point were directors who sort of enforced their preconceived idea of what something should be on an actor. Mm. And then, no, no, I want you to do it like this. Or, you know, uh, I need you to come here and do, you know, they were very prescriptive and good actors just don't work that way. You know, it's not, it's not good. It shuts you down. So it was like, make people feel like it's their idea and suggest something, but be open and collaborative. And, and, you know, one plus one does not equal two. One plus one equals a thousand, you know, there's an exponential benefit to collaboration. So I knew that, and that extended to the crew too, you know, with a, to a camera operator going, well, what do you think the best shot is there? I would say to a camera operator, well, this is what's important to me in the scene. So whatever you want to do, just make sure we get that. Cause that, you know, and then people feel agency and they feel valued and then they'll and lay inspired. down inspired and they'll lay down in front of a bus for you. Um, so that I was like, Oh, that's a pretty cool directing style. And um, that really works. You know, and not being afraid to say, I don't know. What do you think? Mm. <laughs> you know, um, so, so yeah. So being an, an actor, I don't know, it, it helped me in, in every way. And frankly, becoming a director made me a much better actor. Have you experienced that at all in other projects where you're like, that director is exactly what I hope to be or what I imagine I'm creating? Um, yeah. I mean, I've gotten to work with some just incredible directors in my career, uh, 
And I learned from everybody. I mean, I've learned from first time directors uh, a lot who I just yeah. think are super smart. So it depends. I mean, I've had, you know, whether it's, you know, working with people like the greats, like Alan Pakula or Oliver Stone or, um, you know, in the theater, I just last year did a no, pre-pandemic, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> the last two years have just kind of yeah, jumbled so together. With Stephen Daldry, who's one of the great directors in the theater and also a great film director or, you know, I've worked with so many great directors and I learned from all of them. And actually all of the great directors I have possessed that I have worked with possessed this quality that I was talking about collaboration and um, supporting artists to take, to, to, to assume responsibility for their own work. And yeah. What's your idea? Well, maybe we'll do this. Maybe it's like this. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. Try it. I don't know. What yeah. do you think? Maybe this. And then you're like, oh my God, that's genius. Yes, yeah. right. you're right. Um, as opposed to, no, that's bad. Do this, you know, which just closes people or off. Or do something else. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've yeah. had, I remember Oliver Stone, who I thought was <laughs> so brilliant, but when I first worked with him, he, he was like, Tony, what are you doing? What are you doing? It's really shitty. Why is it so shitty? You were really good before. Like, why is it so shitty now? <laughs> I'd be like, um, like well, uh, okay, uh, I'll be better. He's like, yeah, do that. I'm all over with somebody who demands that everybody bring ideas and bring. He's like, I don't know what, 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 what's better, what's better, what's better. Mm. Give me something better. So he's kind of rough, but, um, but, but still collaborative, intensely collaborative. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Good to know. At that point, the level, the offers that you were getting, the movies that you were getting, how did you start to then choose which ones, you know, because after a while you got out of the working actor zone and into the, I get to be way more choosy. I get to enjoy whatever project I'm taking on and I'm not going to just take on anything. So how was that? Yeah, Here's what happened for me, because it's never, there's two ingredients to it. Number one was the thing I learned through a lot of pain and suffering that you need to be self-starting and self-creating. Um, and ironically, as soon as you start doing that, people start offering you things. It's weird. It's just as weird. It's like, wow. screw all of you. I'm going to do this myself. And then all of a sudden people are like, oh, hey, we got this thing you might want to do. So in terms of choosing, I mean, honestly, while I've had sort of, there were ebbs and flows of getting offers and stuff, only in the past uh, 10-ish, maybe 15-ish years, you know, I'm, you know, have I been feeling like there's just been regular stuff coming my yes. way. So, Got it. Um, and that, but I, that's after 30 years of right. work. Okay. Of so, um, but, but I think, I honestly think that the shift for me happened a bit earlier than that all through my, the difficult period after I'd had some success Yeah. for the decade after that, I really felt that I was trying, I was trying to figure out how to game the system. I was like, well, what rules should I be doing? And, mm-hmm. and in order to be like a star, like what, what projects should I, what's going to be commercial? What, what should I be doing to like, to, 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 to become a bigger name? I, you know, I was like trying to yeah. strategize it business-wise. Yeah. Every time I did that, it just didn't work. And maybe some people have a nose for how to do that. It did not work for me. I couldn't figure out how something was going to be successful or should I do something or should I do a big, I should only do this or I should only do that. Or I should say no to this because it's not fancy enough or it's not a big enough part or it's not commercial enough or it's too much like what I did before. I can't be typecast as the bad guy. That's going to be bad for my career. And Man, because of that one alone, I turned down some really amazing opportunities. Mm. So I finally was like, this doesn't work. So I changed my template and I, and I came up with a template that has worked with and worked for me as an actor. If I get offered us a job, I, it, there's three criteria. I is um, number one, who am I working with? Are they people that excite me to work with? Mm-hmm. Number two, is it a role that I think I can do something special with? And number three, what am I getting paid? And it doesn't matter if the role is big or small. If I'm like, I know I can do something special with this. I know I can, I can nail this one. Um, or this is a role I want to do. Whether it's big or small, it doesn't matter to me. 
Um, and then, so my, my thing is if it, if it meets two of those three criteria, I will say yes. If it's mm -hmm. people I really want to work with and a cool role that I'm doing for scale, no worries. If it's, you know, a not such a great role, but I'm getting paid a lot and it's with cool people, I'll do it. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and if it's a, you know, if it's a great role and, and you know, so anyway, that's, that's what I do as an actor and that's worked out really well because yeah. then any project I'm entering into, I'm not looking at like trying to, to read a crystal ball about what the result is going to be. It's right. Like, Which you can't do. Dime, and I'm just going to now do my work. And most things aren't successful. That's just the way it is, you know? So, um, and then out of the blue, some things just work, you know? Um, so that's, that's pretty much, you know, with a direct as for directing, it's a little bit different because yeah. you really, you need to be really in love real with it. I feel invested like. and passionate about yeah. uh, a project that you're going to commit, you know, often in excess of two years. Of yeah. Life. It's, it's a different, I imagine it would be different to take on a director, you know, ship for a film because you're, or a TV show. You're just, you're really, you know, fully immersed as, as opposed to like acting. I feel like it's very focused in and, and still collaborative and you're still part of it, but you just have, you have one goal sort of. And I feel like as a director, you're just, you're responsible for a vision of That's like right. the whole thing. So yeah, that, I'm sure that criteria is different. Yeah, less so in television in that you're, you know, when you're, if you're hired to do an episode of a TV series, but, um, but still you yeah. have to love doing and want to do it. And, you know, uh, yeah. yeah, a feature film is a much bigger undertaking, or if you're producing a, creating a series that you're going to be, you know, the, the creative uh, driver of those yeah. are big decisions. So I want to touch on Scandal. How was that? How was, how was getting that pilot? What was that pilot experience like? And then how was the whole show, obviously? Yeah, that was another one of those magic yeah. things that reinforced the notion that you just don't have any control over anything. Um, the pilot I, uh, was amazing. That script is so good. It was, great. it was great. You know, but the way that came about, I never wanted to do a television series because I felt like it would inhibit me, especially when I became a director. Right. When I was younger, Doing television was a real, uh, uh, you know, scarlet letter in terms Heard, of. Heard, yes. Yeah, like when I started out and through the 90s, really, you couldn't work in both mediums. You know, once you left television to do movies, you could not go back. It would be a stain on your career. And then, you know, HBO changed the game with yeah. Oz and then The Sopranos. And, and you know, it just, it all changed. So into the 2000s, suddenly TV became like this amazing everyone was going back and forth. And, so and that, a writer's oh, medium, like the best writing. writing. Yeah. yeah great. You know, film actors were dying to do television. So, so um, when I directed my last film, actually, it was called conviction. Mm, <laughs> things so like, that movie had taken me like eight years to get in front of the wow. camera. And then 10 years before it finally came out. And it was one of these things where I thought I was so, I really hadn't been acting much because I was so focused on my directing career and, and everyone was saying, oh, my God, Tony, this is the one that's going to launch you to be the A-list director. And I looked thought, OK, that's what's going to happen. And now you know, once this movie, we finally got it made. And once it comes out and it, the movie came out and I love the film, but it just didn't do business. And so they were like, my agent was like, um, you know, so the offers weren't pouring. in. I was like, wow. Uh, OK. <clears throat> what, uh, and, and it was so exhausting to get that movie made. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and what's the next one going to be. And, and, um, and I was doing a, a Broadway musical when, when, uh, when conviction came out I was doing that for a year. And when you work on Broadway, you know, you don't make as much money as you do in movies and television. So I was like the show, that show promises, promises closed. And um, so I was like, okay, uh, I got to, I got to, but, you know, I had kids in high school and I was like, I could put some money in the bank. Like, what, what am I going to do? It doesn't look like there's a, you know, I'm getting offered big movies as a, as a, as a director right now. I mean, I should consider television. I better be smart about this because I'd always said no. And um, I, so I said to my agent says, you know, we should be open to television now. Right. And they were like, okay, cool. There's a lot of cool stuff out there and people would be happy to do this. So I started putting out feelers and I, I got offered this pilot for ABC that had a really interesting role in it. Um, the script and, you know, had some issues, but I thought the role was really cool. And they, you know, offered it to me, but said I had to test for it. 
So I said, okay, all right. And um, I tested for it and I tested for it feeling unsure about the script. I was like, as soon as I agreed to test for it, I was like, I was working on, I was like, oh my God, I don't know if I have faith in this project. Like, mm. I'm not sure this is going to work. And I got this super anxiety, but I had agreed to test us. Right. I agreed I'd signed the deal. They owned me. Right. Like, oh crazy. God, huge, like buyer's remorse. I was panicking about it, but I had to go in to ABC and audition, right? And I had an audition for something for quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> I was really... And it turns out I was auditioning against, there was one other actor there who they were considering. Wow. Someone I really admired a lot. And I was like, oh God, I hope you get this part. <laughs> I was really panicking. But I, so I, I go and I do my audition and I guess it was fine. Um, but I left just feeling like, oh, I'm really hoping it didn't go my way. And sure enough, it didn't go my way. Right. Oh, okay. So <laughs> I, okay. And then I immediately get a call from my agent going, well, we have this other offer for you that from Shonda Rhimes. She has been doing this series and Kerry Washington is going to be the star of it. And they want you to play the president of the United States in this show called Scandal. And they didn't, they knew you were previously, you'd committed to this other thing. So they were waiting to see if that deal would go south. And now that you didn't get that, they really want you. You don't have to test for it. Shonda wants you for the part if you want to do it. And I was like, oh, my God. OK. <laughs> so I read the script and thought it was fantastic. And, uh, and it was a really interesting one. I'd been dying to work with Carrie. And I had known Shonda because I had directed, I think, the third episode of Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. You know, so we had met. But I hadn't talked to her in years. And she just, she, you know, and I read the script and I was like, well, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure. It's a little soapy. I, I, I'm not sure if it's right for me. And I talked to my manager and he was like, shut up. You're doing this. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to hear this. This could be a huge head. Just say yes. And I was like, okay, of course you're right. And I called Shonda and we talked about it and she was just super cool. And was like, you know, you could, I don't know where it's going to go. You could be in it a lot if you want to do it. I know you have other things you want. You can be in wow. it a little if you want to do it. Whatever you want to do. I don't know if the parts get, part, we can do whatever you want. And I was like, really? Okay. And um, so, uh, yeah, I think in the first season, they only, she let me do like seven of every 10 episodes or something like that in case I wanted to direct something else. Like she gave me this. And then, event, you know, then the next year I was like, no, 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 I'm fully in. Let's go. <laughs> so uh, anyway, that was just a miracle. And it ended up being, I don't know. Again, it wasn't what I thought I was right. going to do. But of course, it was transformative for my career again. It just like reinvigorated who I would never have thought that at 50 years old, I would be like, you know, like on People Magazine's Sexiest Men of the Year. Yes. It was laughable. I was like, no, what? it was so it was it was an, I mean, it was one of those things where especially at the time I was such a I'm such a huge Shonda Rhimes fan, obviously. But I remember especially that first season, but on for the next, just because of the newness of the first season everyone was talking about it. Everyone was talking about the president. I mean, there's just, it was so incredible. And so I just, I thank you for sharing that. Cause it's so yeah, it lovely to hear how it started. You know, they're just incredible group of people. And there was a, it was a magic seven years, you know? So obviously just in the interest of time, I'm going to just jump a bit to King Richard. Mm-hmm. Tell me, I mean, I, you've probably, I, I also thank you for doing this this week because I know it's probably a bit crazy and it's lots of interviews, but just wanted to go into like, how was getting that project? How was shooting that? Just a little bit, just a touch of yeah, what that project was like. Fantastic movie. People are going to flip out for this film. I'm it's so excited. Williams and their father, Richard Williams, who really sort of had this vision of two years before they were born, wrote a 78 page manifesto, sort of a prophecy of, that he was going to create these two tennis players. And uh, it's an amazing story about them as children and this extraordinary odyssey of their family to, you know, really up to the point where Venus becomes a pro. Um, And I played Paul Cohen, who was their first professional coach, uh, Venus's first professional coach when they were kids. And it was just, it was an incredible experience. It is a magical movie. It really is. Um, And uh, really inspiring and super entertaining and and emotionally honest. And Will's incredible in it. And Anjanou Ellis, who plays um, Orisine, their mother, is also an amazing character. Uh, Anjanou's just incredible. And you've worked with her before, right? 
I have, yeah. Uh, Anjanu was in the pilot of The Divide, this television series I created with my partner, Richard Legravenez. Um, and then Anjanu was not able to, when we went to series, she had to drop out because her mother was ill. So she'd ended oh. up, uh, Nia Long ended up taking over her role. But uh, she's a, one of the great actresses and uh, I adore her. And, and um, I'm so happy for her, uh, for people to see her in King Richard. But that comes out November 19th. Yeah, yeah like next week. Mm-hmm. So soon. Um, and then uh, we have one more thing I really wanted to ask you about, because that's really new to the hot zone anthrax that's coming out. This is a, a limited series for Nat Geo, uh, which is really cool. It's, it's a six Looks hour so good. Um, exploration of retelling of the, the, the period of the, the anthrax murders, what happened right. to people recall three weeks after nine 11, someone sent out letters to Congress and to all the big media uh, companies. Um, these letters, Crazy. anthrax powder, which is a biological weapon uh, and is highly deadly. And uh, but several people died and it was, uh, you know, it was in the, the letters made it appear that it was uh, Islamic terrorists, but they didn't know who it was. And it launched a six or seven year investigation by the FBI that went in all kinds of wrong directions and um, it erroneously, you know, was used as part of the, the justification to go to war in Iraq because they tried to pin it on uh, Saddam Hussein, which was completely bogus. And um, and I play uh, the series follows both uh, uh, the FBI agent who was the lead investigator in this, played by Daniel Day Kim, and I and Bruce Ivins, which is my character, who was the lead anthrax researcher for the U.S. Defense Department. And Bruce, um, you know, was a guy who became obsessed with this investigation and was really at the center of it. And uh, it was revealed, you know, it came out that he uh, suffered from severe mental illness and um, without giving away too much, you know, this investigation really derailed Bruce's life. And um, uh, it's a really fascinating roller coaster ride of a story. Uh, But uh, it, it follows this investigation. People will remember the the scare when it happened. I remember. I, I grew up in New York. I remember everyone was. I mean, even like you know, people I know were, were worried about like opening up envelopes. No, we, we didn't open our mail for a month because I live outside of right. New York. And, um, you know, our my wife put Cipro, and our our kids were you know probably close to your age, and they were like little kids at the time. And they um we put Cipro, which is the antibiotic you take when you have anthrax poisoning, in our kids' backpacks at school. Oh my god! And, um, you know, one of the postal workers nearby us in Connecticut died and it was, it was serious, but then it got subsumed in the public consciousness, you know, by the, the, the wars in the middle East and people just forgot about it, but there's this extraordinary story that, um, you know, is also particularly relevant now because having just lived through a global pandemic, a lot of what came out with this fear of this sort of invisible enemy anthrax is what we've experienced now with this pandemic. And a lot of the, political reactivity and the misinformation that's been going on. And a lot of the things that we've been living with, I think people will really identify on a really personal level of having just been through what we've been through as a country. Very true. Really excited for it. It looks great. Um, I always like to ask my guests at the end, what is your definition of success? Um, My personal definition of success is being able to uh, on a regular basis (laughs) do the work that I love to do. Uh, that is, you know, so for me, the material success or the, the, the success in the marketplace say is, is great, but it really is. I've discovered it's only really a value in so much as it gives me the ability to do more of what I love to do. And I've learned that I don't necessarily need that to do what I love to do. So, um, Mm. certainly helps and makes it easier. But the real satisfaction is in, you know, being in creative flow and and collaborating with people that I respect and who inspire me on material that means something to me, because that's what feeds my soul. And and there is a, you know, I'm not going to be Pollyannish about it. There's also a part of that of being able to, you know, pay the bills and not have the financial stress and have some security that I can, handle my stuff, you know, right. that also is, is a, a component of, of success for me. Of course. Great. I love that. That's going to stick with me today. I know Tony, this has been one of my favorite interviews. I really appreciate your gift for storytelling and your just generosity of, of sharing your work oh, and your, thanks, I appreciate it. 
Thank you. Appreciate you. It was great talking to you. Great talking to you as well. Have a wonderful day. Thank you too. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you haven't yet, do me a favor, drop a five-star review, follow on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, and find me on Instagram. I'm at at Michelle Simone Miller and at Mentors on the Mic. Share this in your stories. Let me know what you think. Share it with a friend, and I'll see you next time.